Bars. You and your wife and baby Joshua, come on up here. What day was Joshua born again? Remind me. January 6th. I think that's the same day Sharon went into labor. I'm not sure about that. But I appreciate Brother Norris and his wife. I'm, I'm so glad the Lord... Of course, they were here actually when I was in New Guinea. Yeah, he, was, he was here single at the time. The Lord brought him back. And, but him and his family have been such a blessing and just a zeal. And you can always tell when people even want their testimony at work when you see their co-workers coming in here. And uh, knowing he's different. There's something there that, that I want, that I want to see. And I appreciate that about them. But Joshua born back there in December, uh, or excuse me, January 6th. And they would like to come and dedicate him to the Lord. So let me read again from Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Lord says this. In verse 5 he says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. The greatest command we have. It's what life is all about, is loving God. Understanding, understanding God, loving Him, that leads to service, that leads to what it's all about. Verse 6, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And then it finishes with a colon. So he's continuing now with this same exact thought. And this is immediately where he goes. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way. And when thou liest down. And when thou risest up. And it goes on and on giving the list. So as you come to dedicate Joshua to the Lord. It it's, it's truly is dedicating yourself to say. Listen we're going to teach this child to love God. We're going to show this child that what's most important above all in life is God. That nothing. That it's not a career. It's not money. It's not another person. To what life is all about God. That's what you're telling God. This is what we want to do with this child. We want him to be yours. We want him to teach him that life is all about God. And so I certainly appreciate you coming forward and wanting to acknowledge, say, listen, we want to raise our children for the Lord. I appreciate that. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll present them with, with the gift that we did, we did pick up for baby Joshua. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, again, I do thank you for the Norris family. I thank you so much for bringing them here. Lord, he's been such an encouragement to me. Lord, I pray your blessing upon their family. Lord, now as they bring baby Joshua to be dedicated unto you, Lord, I thank you so much for parents who have a heart to do that. Boy, Lord, do we need that in our day today. Parents that will realize that, that are willing to dedicate themselves to say, I want to show my child that life is all about God. And Lord, I pray for baby Joshua that as soon as he reaches that age of accountability, that he would repent and place his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that he would love you and serve you and serve you because he loves you all the days of his life. I pray that you give Brother Norris and his wife wisdom as they raise their children. Lord, help them direct them towards you. Lord, to help them, to give them a desire uh, that, that their actions and their words would cause their children to desire you. Lord, so please bless and bless our families. Help us to, as a church to be faithful to pray for them and each other. Lord, I love you and I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So we will be praying for you. And here are some gifts that we did pick up for baby Joshua. Thank you, brother. Yes, sir. Amen. Thank you. Amen. All right. John chapter 11. This week has been, uh, in all honesty, a challenging week. Um, on, many, uh, on many different fronts, many different levels. Um, I would say probably one of the more challenging weeks since I have been here has probably been this week. Um, and... Uh, and uh, just just what different people are, are facing and situations that, that have come up. 
Um, life isn't always easy all the time. It certainly isn't. And we have times where we face difficulties and, and times wondering why the Lord is doing what He's doing. And this is a message that, I, as I was coming into this evening's service, I kept, I kept coming back to this. I preached this message, actually, in 2018. Uh, so it's been almost, I, I looked it up, I knew I had, so I said, let me look it up. It was about four years ago, almost exactly, actually. I was, found that a little bit ironic, I guess. Um, and uh, I, I wanted something just to try and be a help um, with what different people are facing with different circumstances. And it's just so many things across the board. Um, and so it was, I had a difficult time in trying to determine tonight which, which direction to go. So I just pray the Lord will use this and that will be helping all of our lives. John chapter 11. Um, usually when, when it comes to a chapter like what we're going to see taking place in John chapter 11, I always avoid, if you notice, reading when there's a lot, of, uh, when there's a lot that I need to read. I try and break it up throughout the message. Um, and there's times when I've had people come through and I wanted to sit them down. Some of our young preachers say, listen, but you break that up, break that up. Uh, but this case, I've got to read a lot of this right here. But it is one story, so it's very easy to follow. So I'm going to read a significant portion of the first 45 verses of John chapter 11 right here, dealing with Lazarus. And I'll, I'll jump around a little bit, but not too much. But I, I want us to grasp here what is taking place in John chapter 11. And, and I'm going to take one angle of it once we're done. I have actually several different sermons just from what takes place in John chapter 11, and I'm just going to take one angle of it here this evening, and that's it. Verse number one. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, uh, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. This is a family that is close to the Lord. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard before that he was sick, get this, he hears he's sick, what does the Bible say? He abode two days still in the same place where he was. He doesn't move. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. He's going to where Lazarus is now. His disciples said unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone me, and, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of, the, of, of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things saith he, after that he saith unto him, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of his sleep. Then said his disciples, they're a little thick-headed right here yet, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. They're not understanding. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought he had spoken of, uh, of taking a rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Look at this statement. And I am glad. I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent... You may believe, nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. 
that when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now, Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. Many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord. I believe thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews which were with her in the house and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit, was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said unto him, Come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. Some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, coming to the grave, it was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. When he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! And he that was dead came forth bound, hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound with a napkin. Jesus saith unto unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews, which came to Mary, had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I ask your blessing upon the message tonight. Lord, I pray that you would work. I pray that you'd be glorified and honored. Lord, I pray that you'd use this to help us, to encourage us. Lord, to see you are in control. Lord, so I pray that you would work. Lord, again, control what I say, how I say it. Lord, if there's anyone here that does not know Christ as Savior, Lord, I do pray that conviction and that drawing, that perhaps even this evening they would repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Please work, Lord, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So the, the question comes, 
as we read this, why, why did Jesus wait? Why did he sit down for two days and do nothing? Why? He's 30 miles from his current location to where they sent the man to come find him. It is 30 miles from where Lazarus is. It's 30 miles away. He's, he's, he's going to, remember, he's going to be walking there. A minimum of an all-day's journey, if not two. And it would take him, when he does travel, one full day to travel that distance. Yet he waited two days before leaving. Why is it that there are times in life when trouble comes, when things hit, when circumstances come, that the Lord just has us wait before He answers? He just has us wait. Our understanding to that question is incredibly important. Because so often we jump the gun, we do things that we shouldn't do. Or we assume things that we should not assume. But why is it that he waits? This is a special family to the Lord. The few times in his ministry that he traveled to Jerusalem, this would be one of the families he would stay with. As it, as it, it mentions in a special way, he loved them. It, was, it happens to be a family from an earthly standpoint that he had fellowship with. Why is it the Lord has us wait? I mean, think about this. I'm going to read you some verses from the Bible. This just isn't here. Uh, uh, let me give you some, some different verses here that I'm going to read. Let me jump through. I've got several of these here. Psalm 25. I have several here, so I think I'll hit this chapter. Oh, my God. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll just go to verse 3. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. He jumps down to verse 5. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day long. Verse 21. Let, let integrity and uprightness preserve thee. In such a great statement like that, notice how it finishes. He's not even finished with the thought according to the punctuation. For I wait on thee. It's over and over. Psalm 27, of course. Verse 14, one of the most popular verses about waiting on God. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and, and thou shalt be verily fed. Well, that's not the verse I'm looking for there. Let me double check my notes. Let me jump down to verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Over and over and over. Let me jump down, jump down a little. Verse 9. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Verse number, let me jump down. Verse 34. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. Uh, on and on. Uh, Proverbs has him. Isaiah, of course, 40, 31. One of the most popular verses dealing with it. But over and over, I have verse after verse dealing with wait on God. And the Lord does that here in our text in John chapter 11. Keep in mind, when they sent the servant out, moments after that man left to go find Christ, he died. By the time he gets to where Christ is, the man's already dead. Now that servant doesn't know that. When he left, Lazarus was still alive. The Lord knows, he hears, and he still waits. 
we see this as a command to wait on God. But why? We see some great answers to that in our text in John chapter 11. Look at verse number 4. Let me start in verse 3. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick, Lazarus. When Jesus heard that, he said, get this, even though he's already dead when he's speaking these words, this sickness is not unto death, but for what? The glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Think about what's taking place here. This is at the very end, actually, of Christ's ministry. Um, I've covered this as we went through the Gospel of Matthew. I know it's on chapter 11, but you're just about at the very last week of his life right here. It's just going to be about a week later when he's going to be making his entrance down into Jerusalem. By the time you get into John chapter 12 and 13, he is beginning all those next chapters before his arrest, deal with the final discourse between him and his disciples, and that's it. His public ministry is basically over with. So this is at the end of it. They've been traveling with him now for three years. They've seen the power and might that he's done. They've actually seen him raised from the dead, two other people, but nothing quite like this. One was the young maiden, um, and, and the other one was on the funeral that he came across, which would have been uh, dead, probably the same to remember because of embalming. I happened to mention it this morning. You, you buried very quickly, just like with Lazarus. When he died, as we see here, they had him in the grave immediately. They had him in that tomb immediately. <clears throat> And so they send for the servant. Lazarus is sick. They know it's unto death. Christ, they say he's only a day's journey away. Go find Christ. Let him know. He hears though, and Christ just states, it says he waited for two days. And then he lets the disciples know, now's the time to go. And at first they're concerned. They thought he was waiting because of the mass persecution. That is, for 18 months, the, the leadership of Israel had been actively trying to kill him. And now he's heading to Jerusalem. And so they thought he simply delayed because of the threat on his life if, when he comes to Jerusalem. But that's not why. And he says, it's time to go. We're going. Lazarus, sleepless, they misunderstood. They said, well, it's good that he's resting because he's sick. No, no, no. Guy, he's dead. He's dead. And he says, I'm glad for your sake that I was not there. And I'll cover that. And that's going to be the second reason when I get to it. But I'm still developing the first. And so they head that way. And he started to head there, and word travels when Christ moved. His ministry's been going for three years. He is the, the most powerful, the most talked about. He is literally, even though he never left this tiny geographical area, he's changing the world. And so news traveled. Uh, Martha hears, Christ is coming. He's close. She takes off. Falls down before him. Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. You could just see her weeping. I, Lord, I know your power. I've seen it. If you were here, he wouldn't have died. Where were you? You know us. You've been healing people throughout all of Galilee. People you don't even know. From a human standpoint, mind you. But you know us. Where were you? 
And through that conversation, though, we have one of the greatest verses in the New Testament. Where Christ says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth me, though, uh, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And you can begin to see the faith of Martha. Still not quite understanding. And then Mary finds out. She's in the house weeping. The morning is taking the, the time for mourning of the uh, of the passing of a family member still there. There are other, many Jews are there mourning with her, trying to be a comfort. She takes off. They think she's just heading to the grave to weep through her her sorrow, but that's not it. But they follow her, trying to be a help, and they realize Christ is there. Mary does the same thing, falls down at his feet, not understanding. Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. They have that conversation. Christ just says, where have you laid him? Where's the body? They bring him to where it is. Lord, come and see. Keep in mind, the Lord knows what's getting ready to happen. He understands that perfectly. What is moments away. And yet with that, knowing that, Seeing the sorrow of Mary and Martha, those who are there, he begins to weep. Don't ever forget that when you're hurting. He's right there. Even though he knows one day it's all going to be over with for us, we're going to be, I mean, with him for an eternity, yet when we're in that moment, he's right there. He's right there. The Jews, behold, how he loved him. Then they started their talking. Man, we've seen him open the eyes of the blind, make the deaf to hear. Why didn't he heal him? <laughs> Jesus, the Bible says, groaning in himself, coming to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Now think of this, here it comes. They were, none of them were expecting this. Not Mary, not Martha. They're there by the grave. Most thought to pay respect, to be a comfort. And he speaks. Take ye away the stone. Martha responds, Lord, he's been dead four days. He's been in there for four. Since he died, we got him in there. He's been there four days. The body stinketh. He said, said I not unto thee, if thou wouldst believe, thou should see the glory of God. Everybody began to pause now. I think the weeping stopped. They're wondering, could he do this? So right after he says that statement, they remove the stone. Again, I believe it's dead quiet. I believe you could hear a pin drop outside at this point. Why did he have him remove the stone? Everybody's there. Christ is not going in, into the tomb. He's staying outside. He's, he's right there. And, and all of a sudden, here comes this cry that Jesus says. He, he prays unto the Father. Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by. Because those who are here, this is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm praying right now. He finishes the prayer, 
And then the Bible says he cries with a loud voice. Everybody's there. Nobody's saying a word right now. Mary and Martha, I have no doubt, are close. They are right there. The apostles are right there. They're with him. Jewish leadership, they're all there, eyes on him, wondering what's going to take place. All family, extended family, they're all there. There's hundreds present. And then with that loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! Every single eye was on that tomb at that point. Every single one. And could you imagine as they began to hear the rustling? You can probably hear the movement. And then here comes this man still completely bound in grave clothes. Coming right out of the grave. Now get this. This is the important moment. So everybody's, everybody's eyes are glued on that. And I am telling you, at that moment when he came out of that grave, all eyes left Lazarus. They went right to Jesus Christ. At that moment... He was glorified at that moment. And he tells him, remove those grave clothes. Remove them. Lazarus became such a testimony because of what happened to him. As you, as you read on further, the Jews decide we need to kill him. Lazarus. His testimony is too powerful. There's so much ways I could preach this. The fact of removing the grave clothes. Do you know the imagery that's there, by the way? The fact of today, you know, multitudes who, who claim salvation and many who actually do get converted, yet they want to still keep the old grave clothes on. The things from the dead life. But at that moment, Christ was glorified. As we know, this is considered, I mean, the miracles he did were just, as John says as he finishes his book, there's not enough paper write down all that he did in these years. But this is considered, we have written his greatest miracle that he performed, the raising of the dead Lazarus, a man who had been dead four days. And Christ was glorified in that moment. Had he not waited, had it not been the four days, it would never have been to this level. The Lord knew exactly what He was doing and why He was doing it. The fact is, our life is all about glorifying God. You know what God will then do? God will put you in situations that will seem difficult and hard, but in the end it is for, uh, to a purpose that God can use so many different situations, even bad things. He can use to end up glorifying Himself in your life. And understand this. Because of, because of our, our self-centered approach many times, th- that isn't necessarily about God why He does that. It's about you. You'll understand that, I think, as I finish this message. I remember when I was on... I can think, I can think of many different ways that this came out. I remember when I was on... Uh, I can think of many stories, actually. I mean, multitudes of stories. And this one's interesting. It's in there. I don't know if this one's in there or not. We're on. I was on deputation. We're in the motorhome. And all of a sudden, I got just enormous pain in my side. Blah, blah, blah. Still in great. And it just sick as anything instantly. I mean, just from one second, fine, bam, in pain. And I said, I've got to get off the highway. 
And, uh, um, and so the very next exit, boom. We pull off. I'm pulling off the highway. I get onto the exit ramp. And I'm not exaggerating one bit. I get onto the exit ramp and I'm fine. I feel just completely fine again. And so I was getting ready to go right back. And I said, you know what? We got less than half a tank. I'll just stop and get gas now. And we'll, we'll jump on the highway. And so I pull off. I, I, I get out of the motor room. I start pumping gas. And as was common, a guy who was pumping gas on the other side, he came up to me. I didn't have to go to him. He saw the Alaska license plate, which is one of the greatest ways to give out a track is an Alaskan license plate. I don't know how many people have told me, wow, I've never seen one of those. You're actually from Alaska. And my motorhome looks atrocious. Remember, I have had that thing bandaged and repaired from our first week out, ripping the back of it open and just took sheet metal at the place. And, you know, and uh, we literally did buy those, like, if you're from Kentucky, I'm sorry, I don't know what else to call them, Kentucky teeth or whatever they were. Oh, sorry, Rob. <laughs> Billy Bob teeth, that's what it is, sorry. Billy Bob teeth. So when people would look at us in that motor and we'd just smile at it and wave with that. <laughs> and so we start talking about Alaska, and we finish up, and so I have a track, and I go to hand him a track and say, hey, listen, this is really going to read right here. Read this. And I think it had said, I can't remember which track, I had a few tracks I was using at that time. I think it was one of those 100% sure tracks or about going to heaven, something like that. Whichever it was, I could just see the look on his face. He's holding it. His countenance changed immediately, almost like a look of shock. And I just waited for him to speak. He's not saying it. It's kind of awkward. Not, not a long time, maybe two or three seconds. And then he spoke. He said, as I was coming into the gas station, he said, traveling here, I had a sign that said these same words. He goes, as soon as I saw that, I actually started thinking about what's going to happen to me. And now here it is minutes later, and you're handing me this. Listen, at that moment in my life, man, I wanted to glorify God. I couldn't believe what he just did. There are times that different situations that come up that God will put you in situations so that he can be glorified. Think about this. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, the purpose of our good works is that others will glorify God, actually. That's what it says. But you get in the first peeper. First peeper? All right. Nobody has to remind me. I know I said that one. All right. Because I, I get a list of all of my mistakes. It's the only way I keep everybody listening. That's why the Lord does it. It's not because I'm stupid. It's because he wants you guys to listen. And... Uh, According to 1 Peter, though, Matthew, our good works lead to others to glorify God. But no, it's interesting. You get to 1 Peter, that changes when it deals with our suffering. It's that we might glorify God. So we see one of the primary reasons that he told them in verse 4 is that the Son of God might be glorified. He knew what was going to take place. He knew at that moment the multitudes of people that would say, look what God did. So there are times in order for us to get to those, those places in life so that others will see how amazing God is, we have to go through those times so that others will glorify God. So that you will glorify God. Verse 15 now. He says this. Here's the second reason we see here in our text as to why he waited. So one reason God waits in our life, when we don't understand why, God, I'm praying, I'm praying, I don't get it. <clears throat> we 
We see verse 4 to glorify God. Verse 15, we see reason number 2. I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent ye may believe. He's talking to the apostles. You understand that? He's not talking about conversion here. He's dealing with the strengthening of their faith. He knew as a result of what they're getting ready to see take place. It's going to strengthen their faith. Think of what we witnessed Peter who watched this, what he did uh, in this morning's text. This is an event that helps strengthen and mold that man. Jesus knew as a result of him waiting, the miraculous power that is displayed, the miracle that is performed, as a result, the disciples themselves would have their faith strengthened. Listen, one of the reasons our faith is so weak today is because we never see the power of God in our life. Too often we can settle for good things in our life, in our Christian life, and not what's best. And as a result, our faith suffers. Again, I can think, I can think of different times when God used events like that to strengthen my faith. Um, the story when my, again, I got a bazillion of these. When my tire flew off, when I'm first in New Guinea, having that incredible, difficult time and struggling. The first, I'm not kidding, the first six months in New Guinea was horrible and nobody knew. I mean, we're struggling. I mean, there's no other missionaries. We're, 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 we, had, we had other missionaries on the island. In the, in, in, on the other island, we had missionaries that were five hours in Cavian. But they weren't even, they weren't even there yet. They're, they're both on furlough, and I never even met them once. And so I'm traveling up to Cavian for a supply run. And as you know, the last hour of the drive was a sealed road. Before that, you're doing like five miles an hour four-wheel drive, you've got to get a running start for a big mud pit, whatever it is. But then the last hour was nice, it was sealed. So I'm doing about 50, 60 miles an hour. Sealed road, just a little two-lane thing, but there's not a lot of vehicles. So I'm flying to get to Cavian, and I noticed first thing was my hood. It starts shaking. It's shaking, and again, like a dummy, I don't stop and check it. Uh, I figured it would be fine. So it didn't last long, though. I went down about five minutes into that. The hood flies off. Boom, smacks the windshield. Now I can see nothing, and I'm doing 50 miles an hour in a two-lane little road. And so I, I slam on the brakes, come to a stop. Me and James Abel, who, who uh, is now pastoring in Port Moresby, the first man that I trained and ordained, um, he, we get out and we, we pull the hood down and we got to figure out how to fasten it. I had rope, so we got rope and I just went from underneath and around, up underneath and around, and I fastened it down with a rope. I didn't know how else to do it. And so we get in the car and we take off again. And uh, we should have prayed, we did not pray. We get down, and everything's going fine. I'm doing 50, 60 miles an hour again. We're talking, and the steering wheel is on the other side there. All right? So it's going to be on the right side. Is that? Yeah. And so he's sitting over here in the left seat. And all of a sudden, I felt the vehicle kind of jerk a little bit and then kind of drop. And then I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. All of a sudden, it was incredibly hard to control. And I saw these sparks and flames going out the side over here. And then... And, and James, he'll be here when I want to bring James and Puce here. We're already trying to make arrangements for that, having to get their passports and things right now to get them here so you can hear it from their perspective. And we both look, and you can see my entire front wheel intact, going up over the top of coconut trees, which are incredibly high. And the, 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 what's left of the wheel is gouging into the cement pavement. And then finally, I'm, I'm trying to hold, maintain control of the vehicle. It finally comes to a stop. And at this time, I'm not kidding, I'm going to throw up. I, I, I'm, we've been through so many difficulties in here. I've had enough. There is no tow truck to call. 
There is no roadside service. If you haven't gathered yet, if you're new here, you're going to find out very quickly, I'm not a mechanic. What I'm doing right now is my aptitude. <laughs> I'm not a mechanic. I get out. I'm sick to my stomach. I don't know where I'm at. I'm like, I am stuck here. My car is at this entrance. It's just a, it's not a driveway. It's, it's a, just a path, and there's a bush house right there, you know, maybe 10 yards, 15 yards from where my vehicle stopped with like a, a, a walk path right up to it. And there was a man there that watched it. His eyes are all big and everything like that. And, and by this time, and I'm not kidding at all, my tire has already been stolen. And uh, so we get out. James saw the guy already take the tire. So we approached him and James said, he'd asked him, you know, if he had the tire. He denied it. And he said, yeah, I saw you take it. Yes, it's right here. <laughs> and so we got the tire. We bring it back. And the guy across the street comes over. And he's the guy. His eyes are all big. And he goes, he asked us if we knew where we stopped. He said, no. And I'm thinking I'm going to be here how many days? I don't know. I can't even contact mom. She's not going to know what happened to me at this point. And, and he said, this, this house right there, that's a bush tire shop. This is where you stopped. This is where your tire just flew off. I couldn't believe it. And so he called for some guys. They come over. They had a little bit of equipment there. They come out with the equipment. I didn't have to move my car anywhere. It's right where they would have worked on it. They get the tire. The, those, they called them starts. I don't know what they call it. Like the, the lug things on it. All those blew out. All right, That's when the tire flew off. So what that guy did was, he said, I got this. It, it took a little bit of time, but he was quick. I mean, probably not even an hour. He took one off my other wheels, put them on this one, put the tire back on, and I was on my way back to Cavian. Hour, two hours maybe, right there. Do you know in that event how much God used that to strengthen my faith? Through all that we were going through. At the time, I didn't understand, well, Lord, I don't get this. We were going through so much. Can I not have one break? But at the moment, when I saw what God just did, I was amazed. And I knew that just wasn't for me. Little did I know what effect it would have on multitudes over the next 12 years. As that spot became known, because I gouged the sealed road. Gouged it. All the way to a tire shop. And it became known. That missionary that's here now, that's where his car stopped. And you know the rest of the story. Our last supply run, 12 years later, our very last supply run before returning to the States, was the day they were covering up that mark. Was that day. Amazing. But when that happened, that strengthened my faith. Another thing we see, 44 and 45, just two others, let me cover these quickly. Forty-three is when he calls out, Lazarus, come forth. Forty-four says this, And he that was dead came forth, found hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound with a napkin. Jesus saith unto him, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and, uh, came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. We see something here. One, one of my last two reasons of, of what we see in our text of why God waits. It's one, for him to receive glory. Two, to strengthen your faith. And three, because God desires for you to see the power of God. 
He wants you to see it. He, just as much as an earthly dad, that you want, you want your children to see your power. You, you, you want them to see how strong you are, how wise you are. You have those moments. It ends for most of us when they're four. But before then, it works out really good. No, it doesn't matter. Even for Levi now, I still want him to see how strong and, 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 and to, to, to be impressed. God wants that in your life. He wants to do things in your life. You are just like, wow, look at that. So there's times that you're going to go through things so God can show you, listen, look what I can do. And also we see in 45, so that others will also believe in him. It's in those times that others will hear and want to come to know Christ as well. They come to talk to you. Wait, what? What happened? As a result of Jesus waiting, the power of what the people saw of this miracle of a man who had been dead four days. Multitudes turned to Christ as a result. God may put us in those situations in which He chooses to delay, not to answer yet. But so often he uses those times to allow others to come to know Christ. We heard, who was it just speaking about, um, uh, it might have been yesterday at the ladies' meeting, about uh, one lady, uh, yeah, she was sick and dying, but in the hospital, multitudes were coming to know Christ. There are times that God waits for, uh, for others to have an effect and impact on others as they see your faith and what God does. There's times that God does it so that it'll strengthen your faith that when you see what He does, you're just like, wow. There's times that He does it that He might receive that glory. Those all moments in your life, you're just like, wow, God, wow. I'm just going to mention three things here for helps in waiting on the Lord because it's easy just to say it. Let me give these very quickly. One is patience, of course. The Bible speaks of us running our race with patience. So often, especially as we come up in the Western culture that we have, we want things now. Now. I, I will say that was one thing good that, that New Guinea taught me was patience. You're going to wait on everything. That's all, that's all there is to You're just going to wait Learn to wait. The second one is a big one, and then I'll just give one more. You have to understand this. I stress this in so many messages, but boy, do we miss it, and we're so restless as a result. We fail to see God work. We don't see His hand in things. You have to understand this. He's in control. Do you know how much peace that that gives me at times? Of just knowing He's sovereign. He's in control. There's not one thing happening on a global level to a personal level that God doesn't know. There's nothing that is taking place that God is not like, man, I didn't see that one coming. Nothing. Just know that He's in control. That He has it. The peace that that gives. We need to trust that He does know what's best. And at times, that's difficult. And then lastly, of course, 
What God uses to strengthen this during this process is faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Hebrews 11.6, if we're going to please God, you understand faith is essential to that. One thing you should be praying every day, Lord, increase my faith. You know, one of my, it's not my favorite verse in the Bible, but it's one of my favorite, just because when I read it, I knew how much it helped me, even going back to my 17 or 18, when it caught my attention in reading it one day. It was when that Roman soldier said, Lord, I believe, help mine unbelief. It was like the Lord turned on understanding what faith is about in that moment. If we're going to honor him and please him, faith is essential. And if you put these together, I mean, just wait in the Lord with patience. God's in control. That's demonstrating faith. It's what it is. Trust him. Trust him. Even when you don't understand it, even when you don't agree with it, you have to trust him. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Now, this message certainly was for Christians, but I have a question for you. If you were to die right now, do you know what would happen to you? Are you certain you'd go to heaven? Listen, you're not going to go to heaven because you attend this church. You're not going to go to heaven because you're a church member. You're not going to go to heaven because you've been baptized. You're not going to go to heaven because you've got a lot of good works. You're not going to go to heaven because you and God have your own thing worked out. See, the Bible's clear. One day you're going to die. Is appointed him and wants to die but after this, the judgment. So you're going to die and God is going to judge you. He's going to judge you based upon his law. And just like me and every other person that has ever lived since Adam, you have broken God's law. You'll be found guilty. A hundred percent of those found guilty are cast into a lake of fire. Something needs to take place when you stand before him. Get this. When you stand before him, what's needed is this, that you look perfect. That's his requirement, actually. But he knows we're not. But he loves us so much. Do you know what he did? He sent his son down here. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. He became a man. Why? To live the perfect life. The only one who could go to judgment day and the father could say, you're innocent. He lived the perfect life and then he goes to the cross. It says, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When he went to the cross, that verse teaches us, God the Father puts your sin and my sin upon him. And he judged him in our place. That he at the same time would give us his righteousness, which is perfect. He died for you. He took your place in judgment. And death and hell did not hold Christ. He's God. After three days and three nights, he rose again from the dead. You're not coming out. Oh, if you come to him in repentance and faith, he will save you. Anyone here like that say, Pastor, yes. I'm not certain that I have been converted. I don't know that heaven is in my home. Please pray for me. Just raise your hand and put it up. Let me see it. Anybody here like that at all? I see a couple of small children is all I see. All right, Christian. If you need to come and pray in this invitation, you come and pray. Father in heaven, bless this invitation. Lord, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Page 245. If you need to come and pray, you come and pray.